Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, laid down in grief, but I woke with the key to hell on that day, the firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ laid. Welcome to Epiphany's Sunday Sermons, a podcast ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. To learn more about our church, visit our website at epiphanyligonier.org. The saying goes that uh, you're not supposed to talk about um, two things in public company. Remember what they are, right? Politics and religion. You're not supposed to talk about politics or religion in polite, con- uh, in polite company. You go to a cocktail party, you start talking about politics or religion, you'll find yourself in the corner of the room. Everyone else will be over in the other corner talking about something that's not politics or religion. And it makes sense, right? Because people have so much vested in their political views and so much vested in their religious views or their lack thereof of religious views that, uh, well, it's hard to build good bonds over those things. And some people have added money to that mix too, right? We don't talk about religion, we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about money in polite company, right? It's just a barrier to making new friends. Like, let's get something else that we have in common, and then maybe after a while we can talk about the harder things of our lives. In a previous church that I served in, there was a doctor in the congregation, and he was a uh, doctor of uh, tropical medicine. Now, what is tropical medicine? Well, if you were traveling to some remote destination of the world, maybe you were doing a medical trip or a a field study with your college, uh, he would be the expert you talked to before you left who would fill you in on all the diseases and the parasites and the bad things that could happen to you over there that we don't get over here. So... um, and, and he actually really loved his job, and he really loved talking about it, too. And so you'd go and you'd spend time with him, and before long he could change the subject to talk about that one tropical disease that has the really, really nasty side effect that he found to be completely fascinating but would make everybody else sick to their stomach. Or he'd talk about that one um, thing that could knock you out or why you shouldn't eat the guacamole left out on the table in Central America when you go to eat at a restaurant there because of all the parasites and all the germs that they have and they're immune to, but we don't. And uh, he, he would somehow always bring this up in public conversation. And you hear him at cocktail parties or church functions in the corner going on about the tsetse fly or malaria or you know other things that could very much ruin your day. And I happen to think it's probably because he was an introvert and he was trying to drive people away because he didn't want to talk to people. And so he, he figured out that people don't want to talk about various wild tropical illnesses and all of their terrible side effects and what they could do to you. And so uh, he would talk about them anyway. I don't know if you all have any young kids these days in your orbit, but if they've seen the movie Encanto, we know that there is somebody that we don't talk about, right? Uh, people who have young children in their orbit know we don't talk about Bruno. Yes, we don't talk about Bruno. One of the kids is going to start singing it over there. Um, in this movie Encanto, Bruno is the uh, long-lost son of Abuela, the patriarch of the family. Uh, she is, he is no longer around the family anymore, and there's a whole song and dance routine about how we don't talk about Bruno. 
And it's a beautiful movie, this Encanto movie, because this movie is filled with all the things that we don't talk about. We don't talk about, for example, the way that we feel like our life. We're sort of putting everything on our shoulders and the pressure of that, and we're carrying things for everybody, but everyone needs you to, so you just don't say anything out loud, or maybe life has gone a different direction than you thought, and everyone has these expectations for you, but you kind of do rather do this instead, but you don't talk about that because everyone's counting on you. If you want a family movie that talks about the things we don't talk about that maybe we should talk about, Encanto's pretty good. So I tell you that to say there are plenty of things we don't talk about. We don't talk about money or politics or religion in public spaces. We don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about family dynamics. These are things we don't talk about. But in our reading today, um, John is going to tell us that there is something we need to talk about. There is something we need to talk about. We are given um, explicit instructions to talk about and to reflect on and to uh, spend time with one very specific thing. And we're going to talk about what that is in a second, but first I want to give you some context. What is it that we're going to talk about? And here's the context of, of why this is important. We've been in the book of Revelation for a couple of weeks now. We've been learning about this book. We've been learning about apocalyptic imagery, which is the Bible's way of talking about great things beyond uh, human comprehension in this sort of very violent poetry that is apocalyptic literature. Uh, we're, we're talking about how John, the author of this book, has been exiled to the island of Patmos, and he's writing to churches in Turkey saying, listen, uh, I got exiled to a penal colony because of my faith in Jesus. That same wave of anti-Christianity is coming to you, you churches in central Turkey. You need to be prepared for what's to come. And that's the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, but then chapter four comes around and the tone shifts dramatically because John recounts a vision that he receives from God about the throne room of heaven and the future that lies ahead for the church and for its members. This, he has a vision of the throne room of heaven with all these heavenly creatures standing around, singing, praising, flying around, giving God glory that he is due. We have this vision of final judgment that comes on the earth in the form of seals on a scroll and bowls and trumpets. We have this vision of the final consolation of God's people, that there is a new Jerusalem coming, a new city, a new heavens and a new earth that will not have the curses of our world. The enemies of God will be defeated, sin, death, the devil itself. And this vision is that there is a great and happy ending for humanity. No sin, no heartbreak, no hunger or thirst or tears or sadness. And it comes because of what Jesus has done for his people. And it comes for anyone who believes that Jesus died and rose again. And so John likens, the book of Revelation for John is like a, a mother bearing through the struggles of a pregnancy. It's like an athlete training their entire life to compete at the highest level. Maybe you've been a parent and you wanted to take your kids on a really nice vacation and so you worked double and triple shifts to squirrel the money aside so that you could take your family on vacation. What John does in the book of Revelation is he talks about the importance of sticking with the end and having this holy, divinely blessed tunnel vision uh, for what is to come. And so when we get to the end of our reading today in Revelation 22, this is the end of the Bible, what we read today, the last chapter and the last verses of that last chapter. Um, John has this instruction for the people uh, reading the book to keep this vision 
on their minds, to keep this vision of a holy, happy future on their forefront and on their, um, uh, have tunnel vision directly related to that particular prize. And so John says, um, as the, the vision wraps up and he sees the end of all things and he sees the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, uh, John's tour guide throughout the heavens, one of these elders that is referred to in the book, says to John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Did you catch that? Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Mild transla- minor translation note, at that time when they had books, uh, they didn't have bound books with hard covers like we do. Um, they just had scrolls, really, <laughs> and they called them books. Um, so we might say that this is, we could easily also say, um, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this scroll imagery, how scrolls, God throughout the Old Testament would say, um, write these words of judgment down, but then seal them in a scroll and hide them away because they're not going to come yet. They're going to come one day, but they're not going to come yet. And now the opposite is what is happening. We are not to take the scroll and put them away and say, this is for the future. We are to say, this is reality right now. This is the reality of things. And so we are not to take the scroll and to take the words of John and the the, the vision that he has here, the final book of the Bible, and to roll it up on a scroll and put it back on the shelf and say, I'll come back to that later. No, the, 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 the words of Revelation are, listen, we need this now. Keep it close. Don't seal it up. Keep it nearby. Because this is what we're all shooting for. This is the end that we are all working towards as faithful believers in Jesus. So, like, you know, just take a look at the past week. It's been a hard week, right? Another school shooting. It's awful. Another big report about a major Christian denomination ignoring reports about abusive clergy. We got war in Europe and, like, a dozen other places uh, across the world. COVID is sort of back again and kind of messing things up for people. After missing our church for, like, what, two years? Now, all of a sudden, it's starting to make the rounds. And what John is getting at here, what the elder is telling to John, and what John relays to us, is that it's not wrong for us to turn to Book of Revelation when things seem like they're falling apart. Let's talk about heaven. Let's talk about life and the beyond. Let's talk about the other side of death. Let's talk about Jesus being the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, especially the Omega part, because that's the last. Um, to quote the fantastic disco track, Funky Town, let's talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, ooh, baby. Right. That's what John wants us to do. Um, one of the exercises we did in the church back during the pandemic was we went through a sermon series, all of the sermons in the book of Acts. And if you go through all the sermons in the book of Acts, which is the book that talks about what Jesus' first followers did after he rose from the dead, you go through that book, Um, Every single one of the sermons in that book of Acts has some reference, has some reference to this end times piece of things, that Jesus is going to come back and set the world right, and that Jesus is going to accept the repentance and forgive people, anybody really, who asks. The earliest Christians had no problems talking about their faith in those dramatic but important themes that we read today. They knew how it was going to end, and it brought them comfort and peace in a world that was much more scary and much more violent than ours. Though ours is certainly a normal, uh, an ominous time, theirs was even more so. 
The early Christians, very comfortable talking about the end. And as you go through the history of the church, the same is true in the medieval church. Churches were decorated with these very macabre images. We think they're macabre images of, of, of the final judgment. And you have these big, huge paintings with dancing skeletons on them. And you have you know, people being burned, and they're very macabre images. But they use those images, those paintings of the final judgment to say, keep on track. That there's more to this world than you or I could possibly imagine on our own. And God has given us a glimpse into what our future holds, so stay on target. And in the Reformation Church, this was something that was true for them. They had this deep, firm conviction that Jesus' promise about a resurrection from the dead were true. So they could face persecution and they could face execution because they knew what was happening on the other side. The early evangelical church preached fire and brimstone and revivals focusing on eternal salvation. And Christians in just about every generation have struggled with the hardships of this world. And they have turned to the end of the Bible to say, okay, let's remember where all this is going to end up. Um, there's this part in the, um, the, the, the Lord of the Rings, the Peter Jackson film series. Um, that I think gets to the heart of the matter here and what John wants us to do today. Uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, uh, fantastic cinematic achievement. Um, I can t go and tell you what I think about it in relationship to the novels another day. Uh, you didn't get here for a nerd sermon, but anyway, uh, in, in the, the final book, the great climactic battle of the whole series is coming together, in, in the movie, excuse me. And in the great climactic battle, this massive army of evil, wicked orcs has surrounded the great city of man called Minas Tirith, and it looks like it's about to fall. You look out from the city walls, and the orcs are arranged in formations that go back miles, it seems, from the capital city itself. And as the orcs begin to march on the city, they do so. They, they, they breach the outer walls. They make it into the city. Things do not look good. It looks like it's going to all fall apart. And of course, uh, alongside the orcs, you have giant elephants, you have um, the, the servants of Sauron, flying dragons, the great witch kings of Agmar. You know, sorry, Stephen Colbert can talk about this, I can talk about it too. And uh, he's, they're circling in the air, these great dragon-riding witch kings, and things do not look like they're going to end well. And so Pippin, the hobbit, right, already a diminutive creature, hobbit's about that tall, is behind a door barricading out the evil orcs. A troll is banging it down, and he sits with Gandalf, the great and wise white wizard. And he's scared. He's very scared. And he says to the great white wizard, Pippin says to Gandalf, I didn't think it would end this way. He didn't think that he would be dying in a great battle to end all battles. He didn't think that he would end his life a hundred, hundreds of miles away from home, fighting for a king he had just met, struggling to maintain any sense of bravery. Um, and using this image of heaven that comes through Middle-earth, uh, Gandalf responds with a kind of great playfulness. Gandalf says, end? No, the, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass, and then you see it. What, says Pippin, Gandalf, see what? Gandalf says, white shores and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. Pippin says, well, that isn't so bad. And Gandalf says, no, 
No, it isn't. And as the door begins to crack behind them as the orcs are about to beat the door down, Gandalf and Pippin smile bravely and nod to each other, and they pick up their swords and they return to the fight. I think that's what John wants for us in this final section of Scripture, uh, to be reminded uh, that there is more to life than what we see here now, that we can be brave, that we can be um, confident that the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem that God has promised, they are indeed for us. That one day the great gray rain cloud will pull back and we will see the city made of gems, the great crystal river, a world that needs no sun or moon because God himself, Christ himself, is our sun and our moon. And so we can smiley, we can bravely smile to one another and continue the good fight of this life, knowing what the end looks like. And it's not just John that wants that. It's not just the elder in our reading who wants that. It's Jesus who wants this for us, especially. Did you notice that in our reading today, it started out with a word from uh, John's elder tour guide, but then Jesus inserts himself and begins to speak in the reading. The words start from someone who isn't Jesus, but they conclude with words from Jesus. We tend to think that the words of Jesus are stuck only in the gospel part of the scripture, but at the end of the Bible, Jesus has more to say, and he gives it to John, who then passes it to us. What does Jesus say? Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. In these last words, friends, Jesus wants us to take courage and be of good cheer, because it is Jesus who is behind the scenes taking care of everything. Jesus who is bringing the end. He is the one in charge of it. The same merciful, healing, forgiving, exercising, dying, rising Jesus that we know from the four Gospels, he is the one in charge at the very end of it all. He is the promised king. He is the descendant of David. He is the bright morning star. The course of history, friends, flows through the pierced hands of Jesus, not some Roman emperor organizing a persecution, not some boss at work making your life miserable, uh, not the political figures that you love or you hate, not your bank account, not even death itself. Jesus, friends, is in charge. Everything is going to be okay. So take heart. One day the gray rain curtain of this world will roll back and we will see the other side the new city that Jesus is preparing for us. It is a promise sealed in Christ's death and codified in his resurrection. He has gone ahead of us. It is only a matter of time before we catch up. So keep the faith, my friends. Death may come for us all, but so does resurrection. We will meet our Redeemer face to face, and our eyes will at last see him, and as a friend and not a stranger. Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. On Friday, I think.
Pennsylvania.